0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at renewalchicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Well, today, if you're new, you picked a good Sunday because this is Vision Sunday here at Renewal. And we're going to talk about what we're going, what I think we're, what we're believing God for this new season and where we're going as a church. And if you didn't hear our vision earlier, our vision here is to be a, gospel center, a church that's centered on the gospel while passionately seeking the welfare of this city. And so we want to make Jesus known so much to where if God saw fit to remove us from this city, the city would miss us because we love this city so well. So we want to put our handprint, our footprint in this city And I believe we're already doing that. And we believe this happens by three things. Renewing, rebuilding, and releasing people through the work of Jesus Christ in this city. So we want you to be on mission and see this city different as we go forward as a church. So That's our vision. That's how it plays out in the life of our church. What I want to do is I want to walk through the scripture today to... To, to just kind of let you in on what I believe the Lord has been saying for us in this next season. So if you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning, Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is a passage I, keep, I come back to all the time, especially when I'm thinking about vision. Uh, there's no better place sometimes to go back to the early church and see how they uh, did life together and the work of the ministry. So we'll be in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, and we're going to particularly uh, just look at all of it, but we're going to look at 43 through 47 for the bulk of our time today. If you've got it, go ahead and stand to your feet as we read the word of God today. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 do want you to know if you need child care, we do have it downstairs. And then there's also a fellowship hall. Come on, thank God, downstairs where you can tune in the service too if you need to step out for any moment. But don't do it for me. You're not disturbing me. Um, Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Hear now the reading of God's word. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. Everybody say common. common. All things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Very word of God, amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic, what garden are you cultivating? What garden are you cultivating? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are indeed a good, good father, and we thank you for this church, a place that we can call home, but a place that we can hear the word of God preached as well as worship with one another. God, I pray as I do each week, as I preach, God, would you hide me behind the cross so that people can see you? Would you decrease me so that you may increase? Father, we need a word from you. Not from me, but from you. So have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together, amen, amen. You can take your seats. Boy, I missed y'all. Okay? So I had to remind the 9 a.m. as I'm preaching, y'all can say amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Don't say bring it home. That means sit down, Pastor D. Uh, So, yeah, okay. Be with me today. All right. Well, as I said last week, I'm so glad to really be back with you all, be back with my family. Um, My wife and I and our family, we had an awesome time this summer to rest, rejuvenate, but also just put in some new rhythms. And I believe the Lord did a lot in our own hearts, but I do believe in the midst of that he's preparing us for this next season. So I believe he has a lot for you individually, but more importantly, us corporately. And as I prayed throughout the last, particularly the last several weeks of my sabbatical, I, I asked the Lord, what would you have us do? What do you want me to say to the church as we walk into this season of 10 years? Um, and the word that kept coming up is this word cultivation. Everybody say cultivation. 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 And so I looked up the word cultivation, which is usually a word that's used for agriculture. It's more uh, something that's used for farming and, and when you're tilling land and you're working on the fields and you're cultivating, you're trying to make it grow. So this is a word that uh, is commonly used towards in agriculture but as i looked at i found a couple definitions and a couple that really just sparked my interest number 1 it says devotion of time or attention to the improvement of something devotion of time or attention to the improvement of something and number 2 advancement or refinement in physical intellectual or moral condition both of these definitions and others that I found would deal with this idea of spending time. Spending time on something to make it better or to refine it. See, but the problem or even the question with this, we must answer before we jump further into this idea of cultivation, is what are we cultivating? Well, better yet. Whatever we're focusing on, is it worth cultivating? So what are we cultivating? And then whatever we're focusing on, is it worth cultivating? It may be a job. It may be a relationship. It may be something. What is it in your life? Is it worth it? What am I getting at with this? See, I believe that the church, not just renewal, but I'm talking about the church at large, has been dedicated to the wrong things in many ways that has led us to cultivating the wrong parenthetical gardens in our lives. See, I've been on way too long. Y'all just missed that thing. The church has been too dedicated to cultivating the wrong parenthetical gardens. Let me, let me help you with this garden thing. The garden of followers on social media, where we'll do anything and everything to get someone to like us, someone's approval. Girl, I just posted this picture. Guess what? I got 100 likes. <laughs> I got a 1,000. Like it matters. Likes from people you'll never meet, but you feel somewhat of approval. Uh, maybe the, the garden of a job or the garden of money Well, you'll do everything that you can to climb the ladder and get to the next rung and and get that title only to find out that behind the title or behind the finances, you still feel, feel this sense of emptiness because it doesn't fulfill what you thought it would fulfill. The garden of a significant other. You've been yearning for that man, that woman so much, and you've done everything. You changed your appearance. You look good and all of this, and then finally you get that man or you get that woman, and then you think it's going to fulfill your dreams, or he's going to fulfill your dreams, and it's not like the Disney, Disney movie because you find out they have flaws just like you. <laughs> <laughs> Love your laugh, Tim. The garden of identity, where our identity is no longer formed by a, from a solid foundation, but it's formed by how we feel, what we do with our hands. The problem is those things change every day. And so it leaves us wanting more and reaching because we're empty. So we're trying to fulfill this void within us with supplements when in really, in reality, the only person that can supply the identity or what we're looking for is God. What gardens are you cultivating? And this isn't a new question. This is age old. Adam, in the beginning, he's created by God. He's put in the garden, a garden that God created. He created Adam. He creates this garden. Everything's been created to glorify God. He puts them here, and he says, Adam, I need you to cultivate the field. I need you to make it better. I need you to work it and name the animals. You notice, Jay, he doesn't put Adam in the garden and say, I need you to recreate the garden. God already created I'm trying to help somebody right now. God created the garden. He puts Adam there. He doesn't say, I need you to recreate it. I need you to work it. I need you to cultivate it. I need you to make it better. I made it, Adam. It's for you. Just be faithful. Be in it. And as long as Adam listens and he's faithful in the garden, he's at peace with God. Then when the serpent slithers on in there and entices Adam and Eve, giving them something to look at, Enticing their flesh and their desires and their hearts that, 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 there's, that there's something outside of what God is offering. they have never seen this before. And, and instead of staying with God in the garden he's created, they go to another parenthetical garden that's supposed to give them more. And because of that, it causes the fall of mankind. This is where it all starts. This idea, this belief that, that many of us struggle with in our hearts. We may not say it out loud, but we all struggle with this idea or belief that exists in our hearts. It's the question of it, there, there, there's got to be more than, God, more than God has to offer. I mean, is there, there's, there's got to be more. Isn't there more? That's the problem. of The human inclination is to be just like Adam. and We always run. After more and more and more, we're never settled with God, with who he is, and the garden that he's placed us in. Today, I know y'all are like, Pastor, you came out hot. <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> Today, I want to look at the early church. I want to look at them. I want to look at how they devoted themselves to cultivating the garden that God placed them in. And through their commitment, through their devotion to God, we see it grow. Friends, we all here in this room, here at Renewal Church of Chicago, even if you're not a member, God's brought you here on this Sunday. And we must ask the question, God, how would you have us grow the Garden of Renewal? What do you want us to be? Who do you want us to be as a church? How shall we grow? Listen, that takes all of us first being committed wholly and fully to Jesus. And so I want to look at this early church, and I have three points, and I'll get you out of here. and Y'all can go watch football and all that stuff. I don't want y'all to forget what I said, but three points. So write this down. Three points. This is going to help us cultivate and grow this garden God has placed us in. Number one, we have to have a reverence for God. Have to have a reverence for God. Number two, we can't lose fellowship with others. Can't forsake the fellowship. And number three, people are watching our lives. People are watching our lives. Now, before we jump into this text, if you've been here for a while, you know me. I got to do some schoolwork here, and we got to get some context around what's going on in this passage. Even if you're familiar with this, I got to help you out with this to set the stage for where we're going. Jesus has just ascended to heaven, and he's commissioned or sent the disciples out to make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples. And then after Jesus commissions them, one of the first things we see Peter do is he stands up, full of the Holy Spirit, and he preaches a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. 3,000 people give their life to Jesus. I need you to keep that number in your mind. So the 12 disciples quickly, within days, grows to over 3,000. And Peter, when he preaches this sermon, this ain't no hunky-dory, I love you, please accept Jesus, he's telling them, y'all killed Jesus. You killed God in the flesh. And it says, verse 37 in chapter 2, when they hear this, the people are pricked, they're they're cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do to be saved? 12 to over 3,000. Now, this is key to understand when you look at verse 42 where it says the word they, say they with me. That word they is referring to over 3,000 people here. It says in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, this is directly after Peter's sermon. These people devote themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, hear me. I'm not going to spend much time here in this first verse. Verse. Because it's not where I want us to land today. But we do have to focus on one of the words in this verse to get where we're going, which is devoted. Say devoted. I'm going to teach you all to talk. <laughs> devoted. This word in its original language, Greek, means, it means this, to intentionally obscure self-designation. So in other words, these folks are intentionally removing themselves from the picture denouncing themselves or their self-entitlement, making self-nothing and saying, all I want is Jesus. It's not about me. Now, this may sound easy, but this idea of obscuring self-designation is totally contrary to our culture that we live in today. A culture that screams me. Talks about the ideology of what's in, it's what's in it for me and is it in my best interest. And the problem with this ideology of me is that it's not only to- totally contrary to what we see in the passage, but it's totally contrary to what Jesus calls us to be as disciples. Right. To be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus means that it's not about you. It's not always inward and thinking about me, but the focus is outward. What can I do for my neighbor? How can I love those that are around me? Christians are called to love God and to love others as themselves. Me is not the focus. Now, I love this quote, Mr. Miss uh, Ms. Hannah Smith. I've, I've used this before, so some of y'all may have heard this, but I always come back to it. In her book, Everyday Religion, she says this, me is the most exacting personage requiring the best seat in the highest place for itself and feeling grievously wounded if its claim is not recognized most of the quarrels among Christian workers arise from the clamoring of this gigantic me how few of us understand the true secret of taking our seats in the lowest rooms friends the Christian life It's not about me. It's about we. It's about community. Which we'll see in this passage. These 3,000 plus people devote themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayer. Lastly, they, they knew that nothing could happen without them fully devoting themselves to prayer And knowing that there's a big God that's moving on their side. Friends, again, this idea of cultivation begins with who or what are we devoted to. These believers in this passage are devoted to Jesus and to each other and the church explodes in growth. Now, verse 42, it serves as sort of a thesis statement to the rest of the passage as we walk through verses 43 through 47. We're going to take a deeper look at the lives of these believers. Look at verse 43 if you've got your Bibles open with me. It tells us that the believers saw many signs and wonders. And there's this sense of awe that came over them. This sense of awe. In other words, there's this respectful fear. There's this reverence that came over them. This verse is very key to understanding how we're going to cultivate this garden God has for us, which means that there has to be this sense of reverence. There has to be a, a healthy fear when it comes to God, this, this respect, high regard. And I don't want y'all to get hung up on the word fear because I'm not saying that you need to be afraid of God. Now, there's reason to be afraid of God. I mean... Anyone who can form cosmos and moon and stars and create everything and lightning and all this stuff, I, I, I got, I got, I'm afraid. But I'm not telling you to be afraid of God. What I'm really getting at right here and what the context of the passage is getting at is that there needs to be a respect. There needs to be a reverence, an honor for God. It's like a small child respecting their father. Now, this sometimes comes through seeing God work in your life, like these believers here in this passage. And sometimes it comes from us realizing the mess we once were in and how God, who didn't have to, loved us and chose to save us out of that mess. Amen, somebody. See, this, this love, this grace that God shows us. Inevitably causes believers to have a sort of reverence, a sort of fear of God, because we know Him not just as the One who saves from sin or conquers Satan, sin and death when He rose from the grave. But believers come to fear and respect God because time and time again, you see that God didn't just save you out of your sin, but you done been through some stuff where you knew if it had not been for the Lord on your side, you would not be here. You went through this and that. You couldn't see your way out, but God. made a way out he got you out of that thing so where now you know him not only as Savior but you know him as Lord of all creation the creator and sustainer of life you see him as Savior now and Lord see some of y'all amen and because y'all do have a testimony where you know God has brought you from this place to this place and you couldn't do it you couldn't see it but God made the way you didn't do it and so you know That he's also Lord. He's not just Savior. But for some of us in here, that's not our story. And we only either see God or Jesus as Savior or Lord. We don't see him as both. And the problem with this is that if you only see Jesus as Lord, then you only see him as Master. You only see him as ruler. You see him as out of touch. Doesn't really care for me. He just looks down on me. And you miss out on his grace. You miss out on his love. You miss out on his care. But on the other side, some of us, we only see him as Savior. And on this side, we take advantage of his grace. We do whatever we think we can. Whatever we want to do, God is with me. He's following me. I'm not following him. He's got me. He's hanging out with me. Jesus is my homeboy. Newsflash, he ain't your homeboy. (laughs) He does love you. He does call you friend. But he also deserves your reverence, your respect. It's like with my kids. They're sitting. Some of them in the front row, but they have—I—they have never and never will. We don't allow them to call us by their first, our first name. Some of y'all—that's not how y'all do it. But that's how I was raised. That's how they, they in my family. They don't—they don't call me by my first name. So you will never hear one of my kids walk up and be like, "Hey, Derek. <laughs> hey, I need some milk." I'm laughing, but I'm like, like, what you say? Come again? You need some what? See, there's this honor. There's respect. We're teaching them that, too. Because here's the reality. Mommy and daddy brought you into this world. We protect you, and we provide for you. And like my mama said, y'all may think it's bad parenting. She used to tell me, hey, hey, I brought you in this world, and I can take you out of this thing. Y'all may be like, that ain't, that's abuse, Pastor. Look, I'm still standing right here. I'm standing right here. My mama five foot nothing. She wasn't about to take nothing. But the reality was, (laughs) sorry, mom, I know you're watching. But I knew what she meant. Respect. Honor me. I have to ask you. Do you see Jesus both as the gracious Father who saves us from sin as well as Lord of all creation? or is it just one or the other? The way, this is important because the way we answer this question directly affects the way we walk with Jesus. These people saw Jesus as Lord and Savior and through this lens, they saw him do many things. Now, the reason I had to touch on this for a bit is on this having reverence and having respect for God Where we see him as Savior and Lord is because when you, don't miss this, when you see Jesus both as the one who has saved you from your sin and your mess, but also as God who has created all things and sustains all life, then, watch this, you are now able to live and work freely in the garden that he has placed you in. Now, why is that? Why can you now live and work freely in the garden that he's placed you in when you see him as Savior and Lord? Because here it is. Your life is now Driven by what glorifies God as opposed to how can I glorify myself? There's a big difference there. It's countercultural, but it's huge for us to understand. And maybe you missed that. What I mean is that when Jesus is everything and he's all I need, what we can have or what we can do with our hands on this side of heaven, we start to hold uh, hold on to it a little bit more loosely because all that matters is what matters to God. To step on some toes, I got one clap. <laughs> See, you stop thinking about your job so much. Stop thinking about the money that you can make. You stop thinking about the house, the kids, and you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that consumes your mind, you stop thinking about it so much because if God can take care of the cosmos and take care of heaven and earth, then he surely can take care of me. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to choose to trust and honor him with my life and everything I have. Listen, in order to tend to and cultivate garden God has placed us in, we have to first revere the Lord, him only, and that's exactly what we see in the text. They devoted themselves to the Lord. Now, as we round second, in verse 44, it says, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. There's that word common. This means the people were together and they shared things. They didn't just revere the Lord and honor him, but they valued community. When the text says that they had all things in common, it doesn't mean they had things in common like shared interests or familiarity and like we know the same things. I mean, that's some of it, but really what this verse is talking about, what it means is that they shared things. It's this idea of what I have is yours, It's the idea of something uh, being shared by more than one person, sort of like common land or shared land uh, or public land. This means that there was no, I need to paint this picture, there was no poor person or no need that wasn't met in the midst of 3,000 plus people. That's hard to fathom. They shared everything so that everyone was taken care of. What is happening is that when the people of God here in this passage understood or understand who God is, now they have, a, and they have this certain awe and respect for God. Watch this. Their regard now for their personal things lessens. What's mine? It, it, it lessens because they know God rules over it all. So they understand that what they have is not really theirs. It belongs to God, and he's given it to them to steward it well. Okay, okay, let me break this down a little bit. He gave it to them to steward it well, and they're stewarding it well by giving it to each other. So where does that come from? Okay, when Jesus is questioned, I believe it's in Matthew, and he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, it's to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You go back to Exodus 20, if that's not good enough, and you look at the Ten Commandments, the last six of the Ten Commandments deal with how we love and treat our neighbor. And so here you see the old church, the early church, they're giving of what they have to help their neighbor. You think God is pleased with this? They're stewarding well what God has given them. They're honoring God with what they have. Again, it's not about me. When believers see God as a sovereign creator and savior, who cares for us, or for them, when he doesn't have to, it causes us to care less about the things we want in life and more about how we can help others. Tim Keller says it this way. The late Tim Keller, he puts it this way in his book, Generous Justice. If you've never read this, buy yourself a gift. It's an awesome book. He says that a true experience of the grace of Jesus Christ inevitably motivates a man or woman to seek justice in the world in other words because of an experience with Jesus the people in our text are willing to sacrifice their own personal gain for the betterment of others not because It makes them feel good, not because it looks good or it's the right or moral thing to do, but because Jesus, God himself in the flesh, sacrificed himself first for them. The people in our text saw their belongings, their their land and possessions as common to be shared with everyone because of what Jesus did for them. See, this hints at what scholars would call the Missio Dei, the mission of God. We're able to be on mission for God because of him being on mission for us first. They take part in this. These people understood the truth truth of Jesus Christ and began to see their stuff as common, and they give their lives away. When they saw a need within the body, they did their best to meet it. I got to ask you. What if we lived like this? What would people say about Jesus? What would they say about our church? Better yet, how different would the world be if people lived like this? What would it look like? What impact would we have? The text says in verse forty-five that they're selling their possessions, they're selling their belongings, they're giving away, they're distributing these proceeds to all who are in need. Listen, our walks with Jesus should cause us to care for one another. Here's my point: when you're looking at verse forty-six, while they're doing the work of the ministry, they never lost fellowship. Their lives never became just about them. Now, as a Christian, if we're to cultivate the garden God has placed us in, we cannot lose fellowship with other people. Community is important. Your life is not just about you if you call Jesus Savior and Lord. As you look at this passage, what we don't see anywhere here, I'm going to step on some toes, is people saying their relationship with God is private. I just don't see it. You don't see them saying, it's just me and God. I'm looking. Only he can judge me. No. It's not there. And why why am I pointing this out? Listen, one can be going about representing and doing the work of ministry for God and all of these things, all the while they're isolating themselves, and then they end up in a space of burnout. They end up in a space where they're sinning and they're in places where they're like, how in the world did I get here? Isolated. Y'all ever been there before? It's okay to be honest. It's like, I don't know, why am I thinking this? Why am I here? And you notice, if you look around, nobody's there with you. No accountability, just straight isolation. Most of the time, when we fall or we sin, it's in isolation. You look at King David. We've talked about him before. You look at King David. King David is is in his palace, looking out at Bathsheba, seeing her taking a bath, and he she split by taking a bath. He's like, she fine. I need her. Now here's the problem: his army is off to war. David's supposed to be with them, but he's like, I'm the king in his pride, and he's sitting up in his palace. I can have and do whatever I want, and he gets this woman, and he forces her to lay with him. That's pride, and he sins. Isolation, nobody to check him. Hear me when I say this, family. Being a Christian is great. I love Jesus. I love him. But being a Christian should always be done in the context of community. A pastor, anybody for that matter, who is a lone soldier running for God is destined for a dangerous place. We need community. That's why you keep hearing us say sign up for a group. If you haven't gotten a small group here at our church, that's the way we do life with one another outside of Sunday mornings where you, you sit at dinner tables and you sit across from one another on couches and you're breaking down the word and what's being preached and, and then you're eating together, you're praying together. Look, hear me, hear me. Lives are changed at dinner tables too. It doesn't just happen on Sunday from a great message. Most of the time, my life was changed at a dinner table. Most of the people on our staff, Pastor Steve, everybody at a dinner table in relationship with someone else. It's not just from a sermon. If you haven't signed up for a group, make sure you do that today. Go to the table, pull out your phone, scan the card, sign up today. We want you in a group. Do life with others. In our text, and here's where it really just intrigues me. These were hostile times for Christians. People that are following Jesus. Jesus had just been crucified some 40 to 50 days before this. So they really shouldn't be getting together. Especially, I mean, for sure not in large quantities like this. I mean... The, the fellowship, is, is but here, it keeps going. That's the thing that blows my mind. They're eating together. They're praying together. They're fellowshipping together. Nothing is stopping them. They never forsake the fellowship. Friends, listen, I got to ask you, who are those that are closest to you in your walk with Jesus? What's your community look like? Who are the folks that encourage you? Jump into those dark and hard places with you. Some of you know this. Um I like to lift weights. I like to work out. My wife is a personal trainer. And so um we eat kale and all that good stuff and <laughs> green smoothies and stuff in our house. And we just try to stay in shape. And um and one of the things I, I love is um, I'll be in my study sometimes in my word with Jesus, and my wife does these early morning sessions where she's training people in her house, and I'll kind of like sneak down. She does not know I'm there. I'm sneaking down because I'm just I'm like cheering my wife on in the background, and I, I want to hear what she's telling her clients, how she's teaching them, and she does it with a lot of women, and a lot of women. And I'm, not, I'm not. I don't get in trouble by saying this, but a lot of women don't. They don't like to lift weights because they think it's going to make their bodies look a certain way and this and that. And she's like, no, oh, you got to lift weights. You need to lift weights. You need to get, gain muscle because it burns fat better than running on the treadmill all this other stuff. So you want to lift weights. You want to do that. Uh, but if you're just starting out lifting weights, she always says, she's like, you need a spotter. You need to make sure you have a spotter. And so I was listening to her teach this person about what it means to lift weights and have a spotter. And, and she said, the spotter can help you, you know, if you're like on a bench press. Some of y'all go with me well, on this one. You know, Ramon, I know you like to work out, Troy, all of y'all, you know, the bench press is, you know, it's coming down and you're, you know, you're, you're repping that thing out. You're like, uh, uh, and then you get ho- higher in the reps, you're making noises, ooh, ooh, 10, 11. Then you get to that 12th one and you're like, ooh. I can't do it. And you put the clips on like a like a dummy. You you can't get the weights are not falling off now. They're stuck on there. You're like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And you're looking around for somebody to help you, but you don't have a spotter. And so my wife said, You learn you you, you learn the hard way, but you, you, you just gotta start. If you're gonna start out, you gotta have a spotter. And then she says, But the spotter is not just there for the weight, but it's even more important because when you 're learning to push your body to exertion and you 're pushing past this place where you can go when you're, your mind you 're like i i don 't think I can do this i can 't make it my your body physically you can 't go any longer you 're like i, I can 't do this one last rep you need to really in actuality push past that." Because when you push past the place where you think you can't go anymore, you're now breaking down your muscles where now when they rebuild themselves, they come back stronger. She said, you got to have a spotter because you can't do that by yourself. But the spotter doesn't just jump in. This is where it gets some of y'all going with me. He doesn't just or she doesn't just jump in and yank the weight up off your chest off your back, they, they might let you struggle with it a little bit and just jump in there with you and like, you got this thing, you got it, inch by inch, and, and letting you push it still, you still feel the weight, and they're pulling it up, you got this thing, and if you're like me, I might start yelling, Pastor Steve knows this because he worked out one before, I'm like, you got it, get it, get it, you get it, get it, get it, and I'm not pulling away, and then eventually he's like, yeah, I got it. But see, the spotter, just in case you missed it, helps you reach Your full potential. It helps you get to the place that you didn't think you can go mentally or physically. They help you get there. Family, who are those people in your life that are helping you reach your full potential? Who are those people in your life that are jumping or stepping into the stressful and painful situations with you? Who are the ones that encourage you to keep on going when you think you can't keep going? What does your community look like? That's what the church looks like. That's what you see here in this passage. They're spotting each other. Last week, you, you saw Steve and I sit on the stage, and that's one of my best friends. It's cool to do ministry with somebody who's your best friend. It's sometimes hard because I want to slam them too, but you know. <laughs> but the reality is, is that. Um, Steve and I, what we didn't talk about last week as he's interviewing me, is that he's been with me in some of the darkest places in my life. And So I remember when Kayla and I, a long time ago, we broke up before we got married. And I'm like, man, this is it. I'm in a really depressed, dark place. Steve was there. We get married. After that, we had Ramiah. And then within the span of six months, we had two miscarriages. It's the hardest thing I ever went through. Steve's there. Uh, When I needed accountability, Steve's there. When he needed accountability, I was there. When he lost his mother, I was there. When he lost several family members in the span of a few years, I was there. When I needed food, he had me. When he needed food, I got him. When one eats, we all eat. He's been... My spotter, and I've been his spotter for years. Who are those people that are in your corner? What does your community look like? Who's spotting you? When you look at this passage, That's what we see with the church. We see them in action right here. These people in our text, they're worshiping together in church. They're eating together. They had genuine relationships with one another, and they kept each other going. We need community like this around us. We grow, don't miss this, we grow individually when we grow together. I didn't say you grow individually by yourself. We grow individually when we grow together. And the family, I bring it here. I bring it home here. Community isn't just for our own personal growth. It's not just for the growth inside these four walls. But you look at verse 47. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It says the people went on praising God. And then next it says had favor with the people and the Lord adds to their number day by day. What this lets us know is that when we first revere, honor and respect God and then live in community with one another, we are now cultivating the garden God has placed us in. And the good news about this is that when we do this, not only do we grow as a church, but we start growing from the outside and People start coming in because they see what's happening here or what's happening out in the streets as we go out as a church. The people in the text are so devoted to God and doing the work of the ministry that people outside of the ministry or the church start to notice it and they jump in. Now, I'm not sure if y'all missed this. The text says they gain favor with the people. This means that people saw what the believers were doing, and they said, that is good. What they're doing right there, that, that is good. I've never seen it before, but I, I want to be a part of that. I, I'm going to jump all the way in. I've got to be a part of what they're doing. I've never seen anything like that. That is good. The people felt good about the Christians and their church, and not because of the preaching, Talk about one sermon here, but the rest of it is them living. It wasn't the preaching. It's because, of, it's because of people seeing folks live out their lives, displaying the love of Christ in their fellowship, in their eating, in their prayer life. And God adds to the number day by day. Listen, and I'm going to end in a minute. I really want to help somebody here. Listen, God using you is not based only on how much Bible knowledge you have. It's not based on what you look like or how well you speak or how much money you make or you don't make. It's not based on your status. People are looking at our lives And they're asking the question of what has God done for you? Why should I believe in him? People need to see our lives. I remember when I was in college, I was newly saved, giving my life to the Lord. I didn't know anything, y'all. But I was so zealous, like I'm giving up everything. I'm... All my CDs that aren't Jesus-centric, secular. I'm like, I don't want none of that stuff. I'm giving up everything. Uh, I don't date girls that drink, smoke, and dance. All that stuff. I'm I'm off of that. I just, I was so zealous for the Lord. And I needed that. Some of us, you know, you've been there and you need that. You needed that too. I just needed to be in a space with just me and Jesus. And I'm telling everybody about Jesus. You couldn't tell me nothing. People thought I was crazy, but I'm like, no, Jesus saved me. I need to tell you about Jesus. And again, I didn't know much. I thought I did. And I remember a good friend of mine came down to college. And he stayed in our room. And he was talking to my roommate. It's late at night. It's 2 in the morning. I hear them talking about like ending it all, being done with life and suicide. And like, man, this is, there's nothing more to this anymore. I've lived it all. And... I don't know much, so I I just say, God, please give me the words. Let Let me say what needs to be said. And I turn over. Again, this is my friend, so I tell him my testimony. He knows my story, but I tell him about how Jesus has saved me and how happy I am. And I can walk around on campus with my headphones on, man, and I just feel like it's just me and Jesus. And can't nobody touch me. I'm telling him about everything. And he knew me. He knew me from little like kids, and he's like, D, you, you've been the one that was always passionate and, and broken family, ready to fight. You were all, nobody understood. You were always just ready to go, and it's quiet. But I'm seeing you smile. You're different. And he said, I want that. I want, I want whatever that is. And that weekend, he gave his life to Jesus. Now, if you don't know the story, the guy I'm talking about is Pastor Steve. Yes. <laughs> now, I don't tell you that to pat myself on the back and say I had it all together. I didn't know nothing. I didn't have it all together. But somebody else had lived in community with me and taught me how to share my story. Here is the truth of the matter. People are looking at our lives and they're asking the question, what is different about you? Why should I trust Jesus? Ask yourself, and this is a tough question. The way I'm living right now, is it making people want Jesus? I know I'm over time, I just, just, is the way I'm living right now making people want Jesus? All God calls us to be is faithful and be fully devoted to him, praising him, giving our lives to him, and he provides the increase. He changes hearts. Friends, I was six months into my walk with Jesus. I didn't know anything. I was ill-equipped, under-resourced, still sending myself, and God, through my walk, changed his life, and he's a pastor. Renewal in this season. I believe if we first revere God, give him all, and walk in community, not forsaking this fellowship, and be the church, we will grow individually. But I also believe that God will blow our minds with what he will do in and through this church in our city. So I got to ask you, are you ready to cultivate this garden with me? Ah, y'all didn't do it good enough. Are you ready to cultivate this garden with me? God's been up to something, and I believe this is just the beginning. Are you ready to cultivate with me? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, you are good. You are. And I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for vision. I thank you for a church to grow with God, to be in community with. In the good times as well as the bad. God, I I pray even now because I know even as I ask that question, are you living a life that would make people want Jesus? I know there are people in here that are saying, that's not me. I've never even given my life to the Lord. Lord, I pray right now that they would know that all they have to do is confess you as Lord and Savior with their mouth and believe in their heart and you will save them. That you're still in the business of saving. And I also know there's people here that are like, That's, I gave my life to the Lord, but I'm still off. I haven't been, I have not been representing him well. I pray that they would know that you're just and righteous and you forgive as we ask. Let them turn from their sin and turn back to you. And God, I can't wait to see what you do with this garden of renewal. How you cultivate and grow us to be the church that you want us to be. Father, we ask that you continue to work in our midst of our sin of running from you and not being with you. And do your will in this church, God. Be the hero, Jesus. And let us make you famous. in your name we pray all these things.